Hey students, welcome to episode 42 of the Film Student Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Lazzaroni, and today I want to start off with an apology. Since the beginning of this podcast, I've been saying that this show would be interviews with my classmates, teachers, and a few special guests. And I've interviewed a ton of my classmates and a handful of special guests, but it's taken me 42 episodes to schedule a teacher. That said, I'm getting you started with a great one. My guest this week is Kat O'Brien, who is one of our amazing creative writing teachers at HRFS. We talk about her first produced work, Conversion of the Badass Nun, yeah, that's the real title, how to make a truly timeless film, and what makes this school unique. On with the show. Origin Story is, um, I mean, like every great superhero movie. Uh, I discovered that with great power comes great responsibility. So <laughs> I ended up... Spider-Man is in everything. <laughs> everything. It's so pervasive. Um, what happened is that I was actually out getting drinks with Mariano, one mm-hmm. of our other faculty members, and he and another friend of ours were mentioning that there was going to be this Harold Ramis Film School starting up at the Second City, and I had read about it, and I was like, I have to, I have to work there. Yeah. And I was like, who do we know there? And they're like, Julie. And I was like, Julie? That's amazing! <laughs> How do you know Julie? <laughs> I know Julie from our days at Columbia College Chicago. Okay. Julie and I collaborated um, in the producing area mm. when she was teaching and also working at the Portfolio Center, helping students to put together... Um, a full range of deliverables to launch them into their careers. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like a, a full-on portfolio, but also like the web and presentation aspect of those portfolios. Gotcha. And so I knew Julie, and then I knew that I knew Jack, mm-hmm. um, also from Columbia, but I didn't know Jack personally. Mm-hmm. But another of our faculty here, Vince, knew Jack. Okay. And so, and speaking with our mutual friends from Columbia, I was able to quickly connect to both Jack and Julie. And it went from there and I met Trevor and uh, we spoke with other writing teachers Mm -hmm. about how to put together the program. And the more we spoke, the more we realized that we really had a great synergy and a shared vision Mm -hmm. and a passion for putting this together. Yeah. And you've been at that point in time, you've already done a fair amount of writing because we've heard a lot of the backstory in class of some of the some of the. No, yeah, a lot of writing. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of writing. But so how did you how did you get into that? What's your how did you get into writing as a as a thing? So writing as a thing. I've always been a storyteller. I've always been a writer. When I was a child, I thought that it would be really funny to live my life as if I was going to write a story about it. Mm-hmm. So I'd go out of my way to make decisions in the moment, like, is this going to make for a good story? How can I raise stakes? <laughs> <laughs> what sort of conflicts can I get into today? So you were, and so you're a bit of a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, um, maybe, hard maybe. And I, I loved it. It was the thing that I loved doing the most. I did improv and sketch writing in high school. Mm-hmm. I was very much, uh, wanting to be an actress so I was very into theater around Chicago growing up. Um, I performed at the Steppenwolf. I took workshops oh, okay. at Second City. And then... Did you get to su- study under any of the um, original Steppenwolf people? Because um, I know like uh, uh, Malkovich and... Uh, they um, were not part of uh, the teen workshop. That at that I point? Th- okay. Yeah. I didn't know. Um, but there were some other luminary 
theater folk, one of whom won a MacArthur Genius Grant okay. um, about eight years ago. And they were, I had, I was very lucky to be in Chicago in the theater scene with a lot of amazing directors mm-hmm. and teachers. And they fueled my passion for the theater arts. And then one day this guy walks into my English class in high school and he's like, we need chicks to apply to film school. And my buddy leans over and he's like, they totally need chicks to apply to film school. <laughs> and I looked and I was like, I don't know how I feel about this chicks applying to film school idea, <laughs> quote unquote chicks, but okay. <laughs> and I was like, when's the deadline? And they're like, tomorrow. So I FedEx an application and at the very last minute to USC film school, Yeah, I, uh, got a phone call very early on, like in February, from the chairman saying that I was in and that I want to come to USC. And That's I hadn't awesome. even really finished thinking through my other applications for other schools. And I was like, okay, I'm going. I'm going to be a screenwriter. And so <laughs> I went. And I fell in love with screenwriting. The first day of my screenwriting class, I said to my professor, I was like, man, when I feel this way about a dude, I'm going to marry him about screenwriting that is and he was like okay <laughs> and i didn't really look back mm. what was the first thing that you wrote that you got to see fully produced out or that you produced out my student films mm-hmm. Any, what was the first one do you remember the first one yeah conversion of the badass nun <laughs> it, <Awesome. laughs> it was it was special <laughs> Is this a topic that you've revisited at any point in time? <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. Although I feel like it's probably ripe for a reboot because what isn't these days? Yeah, exactly. And you, you could easily. I, I love uh, when friends of mine have told me they like from one of their first films. They just took a character and dropped it into yeah. other things later on. It's like I just really liked this one friend of mine that that always did this. It's like it's the Kevin Smith angle. Yes, which is he keeps on using these random guys who are not actors. Um, they only act in his movies, but like the guy who plays Randall is in like doesn't really act. Yeah, outside. Wes Anderson does that too. Yeah, and just randomly pulls people in. Yeah. So you could easily do that. Oh, yeah, I think I could. I think my friends might be down. <laughs> yeah, I mean we just and we all and it was just like here. That's what's another thing that's so fun about being here at the Harold Williams Film School. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> Because it's because it feels oddly promotional. <laughs> it does feel oddly promotional. It's and it's not necessarily meant to be that. I just. I mean, yeah. I'm sort of joking. Um, but but seriously, the thing that I fell in love with was storytelling with friends, mm-hmm. and the spontaneity of that creation that came through my improv background that I carried over and applied to my own filmmaking process mm-hmm. at USC, and um, just carrying that forward i mean so many of my friends and collaborators have improv backgrounds Mm -hmm. so it felt very natural coming here and creating a program here that just replicated what i missed the most yeah about being in los angeles and working in the hollywood-based film industry Mm -hmm. uh, to replicate that here in chicago was just awesome and you you're still actively working on stuff uh yes mostly international right um, interestingly, at this moment, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I I am pursuing opportunities to make films in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like what's primary on my slate right at this moment. Um, I do have other projects that I'm working with, with producers and companies that are based in Los Angeles. And those are 
sort of ongoing in development. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's but it takes a long time for that stuff to work through the pipeline. Like you'll you'll write something years. and it'll be five six years before it's in production. Uh, if 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 if, it, if it makes that that far. If you're lucky. Yeah. Um, simply because I think that it's easy to lose sight of the fact when you're working on a script that it's going to take years mm-hmm. more of drafting and years more before it might get made mm-hmm. um, when you're focusing on feature screenplays just because the nature of the industry is that it is so big and it moves so slowly mm-hmm. and it takes a long time for stuff to get made. I mean, some stuff happens faster, yeah, but not always. And I feel like it's maybe sort of like a psychological mental block that you put up for yourself. Cause mm. otherwise like if you sit down today to be like 10 years from now, this will be a movie. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, which oh, is, Oh man, that's, How that's do you the sad focused? part about the one that I'm writing uh, for. Cause it, in the very beginning, it was a reference to, uh, to the time. It wasn't even when I was in high school it, cause it's a, based on a true story it right. it wasn't the music like i have a music cue that's hoobastank the reason uh, playing and and everybody that reads is like oh i totally know where where i was at that point right. in time like it's it's a nice little tie-in but if this takes five to six years to get that that song is no longer relevant to the time period because there's a set time distance right. so I'm, I'm gonna have to update that that flashback scene been there done multiple it multiple times in order to keep it relevant for the next reader of the of the film yeah uh, to see if you know, to see if it's it's something that's actually viable at that point in time. I I had to do that. I wrote a story about my high school experience uh, when I was like ten years out of high school. Yeah. And now I am twenty years out of high school, <laughs> and I want to revisit that script because it it ended up um, not getting made, and I still like the story, and I think I could make it mm-hmm. myself, and I have to pretend in my head like, oh, what would it have been like had I been in high school when mm-hmm. I was actually not in high school yeah when i was already out of college which is it's tough to do it's tough because it so much does change like have you seen eighth grade at all i haven't it's at the top of my list it's yeah it's amazing for how so far as i know and i'm I'm not you know i'm I'm not an eighth grader at the moment so i can't say for certain but every like my nieces uh will say like it's it's dead on it's it's amazing how close it is to that experience despite it being done by a man in his 30s your cultural reference points change yeah exactly and that's and that's i i mean i've done a lot of scripts where that has been an issue of exploration mm-hmm. which is like a story takes place at a certain moment in time for the person who lived through that story mm-hmm. um whether they were writing it or whether i was writing it because i've come on to adapt others work as well and when you when you're living in the world of a story that takes place at a certain moment in time and then you have to like move it forward in time, mm-hmm. it's like everything shifts. Yeah. Um, the, the way the world looks shifts. The cultural, ref- the cultural reference points shift and the way that people interact with each other shifts because all those reference points yeah. are different. I now, uh, I can't remember what I was watching the other night. Uh, Oh no, I do. It was uh, it was actually not the other night. It was in uh, Ron's class yesterday. We watched uh, the kids are all right, uh, and that's from that early two thousand or early. It was like twenty ten, twenty eleven, something like that for for that film. Uh, but you can tell the era because all the characters have flip phones, 
whenever they get out to do a phone call, it's always flip phones. That's so funny. And so, and and you, and I just subconsciously notice that now, and I'm like, I can place the era of that film based on phone technology on the phone technology, right? And and it's it's amazing it's amazing how my brain just ties to that, or based on the cars that are in it, like the right. era of the, of the vehicles. You know, you'll you just kind of subconsciously latch onto those things. And I think we're trained well enough to understand that those are cues of oh, I'm looking at 1920s, 1940s. You know, you can you can pick out a decade range based right. on on those side pieces that aren't aren't a part of the main story. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but it makes a big difference. It does. And I've I've always been kind of fascinated with the idea of trying to write something that could avoid all those things. Something that is timeless. See, I, timeless is isn't is, is an interesting word because I think there's stuff that's so, timeless that that because it works so well in any right. time, but it is still dated as far as the actual. No, time timeless frame is not the word in. I meant. I'm you know what I mean? A word, yeah, it's it's a word where time does not apply, almost. Yeah, but I exactly. can't think of that word right now. And, but and it, it, uh, you would think time. I would think timeless would be the word, but it's already been kind of co-opted for other purposes. Like that's <laughs> <laughs> true. Because uh, I, I think of like. Um, uh, uh, Trading Places is like a timeless movie to me. Like that, it's yeah. that one works, even though it is definitively in the eighties, right? You know, um, but uh, but yeah, it's that's I, I it's it would be interesting to try and write something that would be truly timeless. Yeah, uh, that that doesn't have any kind of anchor point to it. Yeah. So I don't know. One day, <laughs> you could also do the Richard Linklater thing and shoot Boyhood and stretch it across. However many decades, so you actually have to <laughs> update the technology and all the and things. Just move through, yeah. Production value challenges. Yeah. So, uh, what's what stuff are you working on now that you can talk about? I know you've you've always got the super secret, double secret projects that you've got <laughs> right, going on. Right, and the triple secret. Yep. Black ops. <laughs> um, but do you have a black ops folder on your computer? That's no, <laughs> but I should make one. Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would tell you. (laughs) Um, The projects that I'm working on now that I can talk about that I'm most excited about um, are I have. I have a story that um, is pretty personal Mm -hmm. to me, um, just about my own experiences navigating life as a work from home mom. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not a stay-at-home mom. I am not a full-time working mom. I'm caught in this middle zone. Yeah. And that's not a unique situation um, for any parent. However, I feel like it's it's a world that's um, fertile enough um, for comedy and feeling alienated and lost and like you don't belong, mm-hmm. that there's a lot to mine emotionally as well. Mm-hmm. And so my story is about... Um, a group of misfit moms who are all working in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, some are full-time working, some are work from home. And our lead character is a full-time work from home mom who quote unquote retires to become a full-time stay at home mom and is now okay. grappling with that shift. And she used to be a political wonk. Now she's uh, living in Chicago and she's experiencing the political climate we're in and decides that she is going to start making friends with these other moms mm-hmm. through grassroots organizing them. And the story follows their misadventures as they try to navigate the world of 
mom friendships on like the preschool kindergarten circuit um, while also trying to figure out how to teach their children to become responsible human beings yeah. and socially adapt and make friends. Do you tend to like to consume stuff within the genre when you're when you're trying to write something with the genre, or do you try and avoid things that might that might you might inadvertently take over or, Very broadly. or copy? Very broadly, I like to when I'm writing a comedy, I like to be in comedy mode mm-hmm. because I love seeing other people be funny and make me laugh. And I'm like, yes, okay, I, I'm feeling the funny. I'm going to go right. So, but you wouldn't go after something that's in the same vein of like parents with kids type uh, type stuff necessarily. I mean, if it, if it comes up, sure. Yeah. Because um, I, I would make a recommendation. I don't necessarily oh want yeah, to pollute the no, choice. Uh, I'm Sorry on Netflix, uh, Andrea Savage. It's, Not watching it. It is hysterical. Yeah. It is so well written. Good. It's, it makes me think of... Curb your enthusiasm, but she is the the Larry David character, and she's literally a comedy writer in the show too. Yeah, uh, and um, and instead of uh, Jeff Garland, it's Jason Manzukis as the writing partner. Uh, that's that's a regular on there. And um, uh, what's his name that played the drummer in um, that thing you do is is her husband. Uh, uh, something Everett Scott, Tom Everett yeah. Scott, yeah, um, is the is her husband, uh, and all these other comic people just pop up nick kroll shows up paul Shear shows up That's like awesome. throughout the course of the of the first season um but she's it's about her being a comedy writer and raising a little girl and all the things that they do wrong and and every episode ends with her saying i'm sorry which is where the, awesome. the show comes that's, from so that's that kind of touches on, on another thing that I think is really important to the writing process, which is knowing everything that's in your project's wheelhouse mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a reference, yeah. um, as a comparable, um, as quote-unquote tonally in the vein of, so yeah. that you know that you are not retreading territory that's already sure been covered. But you also, I feel like sometimes you can even get a, a, a feel for what's okay. Like, that that's a show that I feel like pushes the lines. Yeah. Like it, it's you know, it's crass and uh, it, it's, they swear constantly, and it, you know, it's it's not something I would ever put as like a a parent comedy, but it is. Yeah. <laughs> and so that I think like kind of broadens the the, the spectrum if you're trying to create something in that yeah. vein, depending on what your target audience is. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's part of where I mean my my brand of comedy is edgy, irreverent, um, borderline inappropriate. You will you will appreciate. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I really like to live on the borderline of inappropriate and appropriate. Yeah. With with my jokes because I really enjoy uncomfortable humor, like the sort of almost you're gonna cringe mm-hmm. that tension filled humor, and so I'm who hoping are, to create a show with a lot of moments like that in it. Who or what are your influences for that stuff? Like, what do you, it, who who are your people that you will always go see in in something or always track them down? I mean, Tina, Amy, Judd. Okay, <laughs> Jed. That was just here. A Jed. Couple that days was ago. just here, um, <laughs> and I feel like for like I feel like everyone sort of has that that moment in their evolution as an artist or a writer or even just as a human where it's like this moment in time in cultural history really defines me as like the music that you gravitate towards mm-hmm. and you play for the rest of your life. Um, it's the movies that you saw at a very specific formative moment in your, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to call it adolescence slash second adolescence. Cause I feel like our twenties are really just an extended adolescence nowadays. Yeah. Um, and you're not expected to be a real adult until you hit 30. Right. Right. Or, or 40. <laughs> I think, I think, Maybe I even. think we're kind of moving to an era. I'll where, find out when I, when I get there. Yeah. Um, and 
I think that when you when you have those those references that just have like influenced you so profoundly, it's really hard to break out of mm-hmm. that comfort place. Like, because I know that if I go back to anything that's been created by a certain list of musicians or a certain list of filmmakers, um, even as they are growing, I, f- I find that I am sort of growing with them. Mm-hmm. And it, it almost feels like like comforting, like coming home, <laughs> like yeah. going back to your family for Thanksgiving, yeah. um, only for like nourishing of your soul and creativity. And way less political talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or way more, depending on your, on your family dynamic. Yes. <laughs> I need to see the oath. Uh, cause that, that's the one that's about like a political argument with a family over Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah. that one I need to check out. They, we had, they had the, the screening that, um, like Baronholds did a Q and a after like a few weeks ago and I just, I was prepping my term three. So, so I'm like, I, I don't have time. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a really, again, kind of coming back to like what's timely and what's topical. I think that's, yeah. that's another thing that really influences me. So it's not necessarily a person, um, or other artist, mm-hmm. but it's, the zeitgeist and finding a way to continually comment on what's happening in the world around us in a way that for me, like my angle is I view writing again, coming back to with great power comes great responsibility <laughs> as Bring a writer. Spider-Man. Right. But as a writer, I feel like we really have a, a sacred privilege and duty mm-hmm. to help others unpack mm-hmm. and, reassemble and make sense of what we're experiencing right now mm-hmm. as a society as a community whichever you know whichever community you feel you fit into and belong to i think that's your audience yeah and for me right now i'm like deep in pre-k kindergarten motherhood mm-hmm. <laughs> and so i want to write stuff for my mom friends yeah that are like also unpacking this shit um is it okay that I said that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Um, uh. Awesome. <laughs> I just like had a flash like Brian Williams being like, Beto just dropped an F-bomb oh, uh, on I, election night on MSNBC. I don't care about that. If anything, no, I, like, was on, I like him more for that. But it was on like, <laughs> oh yeah, right. But it was on TV, like yeah. on not cable. And oh, so well. they had, the network had to apologize. It was it's kind of funny. It's not Jenny Slate. He's, yeah. he's not getting fired off. Right. <laughs> um, Which is still dumb to me that she got fired off SNL over that. The, Agreed. Yeah. Anyway. So especially in a, in a sketch where they were saying friggin' constantly, like, and she just slipped because nobody actually talks like that. Right. Right. <laughs> well, I say friggin' but for everything. But it's, it's I don't say friggin'. Yeah, no, not at it's all. It's really hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. Friggin'. It's a code switch. Like you have to be able to like cut that out of your vocabulary right. when you're talking to certain people. Right. And yeah, it's. Uh, you know, I didn't have a term for that. It's and it's not code switching in the way that code switching is commonly known now, but it is. Sure. A sort well, it's of a, a it's a comedic censorship that I yeah. think is a, in part, a response, once again to sort of what's happening around us. This, yeah. you know, we've had this this push and pull of we have to be PC, we shouldn't be PC, we have to be PC, we have to be more free, and um, exploring, you know, what is censorship and mm-hmm. what offends others and what makes people uncomfortable and where is that line? I think we are at a moment in comedy where we are re-navigating that and replotting our coordinates yeah. to map for those that are coming after us. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting about how stories are being told today. And comedy's got an, 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 uh, a unique ability to be able to comment on anything in a palatable way 
Uh, in that you can, you can take a topic that's really sad, depressing, angering, um, you know, uh, uh, ridiculous, whatever it is and feed it through this prism of, of a comedic lens. And it suddenly is anybody can watch it and laugh at it, but then still take in the message that that goes along with it. Right. And think about it. Yeah. And just be able to, to parse it apart and, you know, as you said, unpack it or, or, uh, or deal with it. Right. So, um, so what are you what is your hope for uh, for people that are going through this program or that are involved in it? What do you what would you love to see happen with uh, with some of the people that are that have gone through here? I would love to see the students that come through this program find a fulfilling way to keep being as creative and mm-hmm. funny as they are right now in this moment mm-hmm. in this program. I feel like we have created something magical here. Mm-hmm. And that is, and it's not, it's not like we, the school, it's the community of the students that are here, the teachers that are here, uh, the guests that come in. I mean, everyone that's involved with this school. The Second City methodology in general. Yeah. Yeah. That, that there's, there's a, there's a generosity that I find to be exceptionally unique Mm -hmm. in, in that. People want to collaborate with each other. They want to share ideas. Mm -hmm. They want to help you make your ideas funnier, Mm -hmm. better happen. Mm -hmm. And and that generosity is something that I think as an artist and as a collaborator, um, I just find intoxicating and so fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And it makes me so happy to be around that energy. And I just would love for our students to get the same. Yeah. Very cool. Um, well, in kind of wrapping up, if people want to try and track you down on social media, anything like that, do you do you use anything? Do you, uh, nope. do you post? Nope. No. Black ops is the rule. Really? Just complete quiet across the board. That's impressive. No, I'm no, I'm totally okay. okay good. Not <laughs> <laughs> I, my website is kobwriting.com. Okay, and you can connect with me there. And I am also um, popping up on Facebook, and even less so on Twitter, <laughs> and even less so on Instagram because I can't figure out how to log into my Instagram. <laughs> like i don't know like it just like i keep i don't know i feel like maybe i'm just being hacked by the russians because i just have this ongoing login battle with insta huh so i think i think i'm just gonna like hit reboot and just start a brand new insta black ops cat there you go this black ops thing you're doubling down on this is becoming a new brand from i think i'm going to double down on this because ultimately you know if the writing thing bores me and mm-hmm. becomes unfulfilling at a certain point in time i would like to go join the cia yeah just become a contract killer that's you know. i feel like i would be good at that <laughs> i don't think people would expect me to do it i think that's why you know because everyone's like you can't keep a secret like you can't do these things and i'd be like that's exactly why you want me <laughs> no one expects the female right, screenwriter you want me on the wall <laughs> you want me to be the watcher. You're the new Spanish Inquisition. Let's. <laughs> oh, ouch! Let's, I think we need to cut before that comment. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Tony. This was fun. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. And that was Cat O'Brien. Thank you to Cat and to the Harold Ramos Film School and the Second City staff for their help. 
The song on this week's episode was Out of the Sun by Derek Every. Find more of Derek's killer music at DerekEvery.com. That's D-E-R-E-K-E-V-R-Y. This show is recorded and edited by me, Tony Lazzaroni. If you want to hear more from me and my classmates, teachers, and a few special guests, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. If you have questions or comments, send us an email at filmstudentpod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram at filmstudentpod. And be sure to check out some of my and my classmates' work at filmstudentpod.com where you can also find links to all of our past episodes. See you all next week. Class dismissed.